Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Yo tengo casi 33 años de ser, de ser forense. Nunca había visto una, una escena así. In spring 2021, reporter Brian Avalar launched an investigation that began in the depths of a grave dug by a serial killer and ended with the government forcing him and other journalists to flee El Salvador. Sonoro and Revista Factum present Humo. Murder and Silence in El Salvador. The story behind a country where the truth and its citizens' rights are buried under the weight of power. Señor Ministro, ¿dónde está Karen y Eduardo Guerrero? ¿Dónde están mis hijos? Listen to Humo, Murder and Silence in El Salvador, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Serial killers, as we have come to learn, can be cunning con men who make their victims feel they are something incredibly special to them. On February 17, 1997, a dangerous man was released from prison while police worked to nail down the true extent of his crimes. A cunning man who amassed a following of men and women who thought they were the most special pieces of a group led by a very dangerous man. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On April 6th, 1944, Hachan Bonani Grumuk Charles Sabraj was born to Vietnamese shop girl named Tran and an Indian Cindy businessman named Sabraj, who was based in Saigon. Their marriage, however, did not last long and Charles's father soon abandoned his family, who were left alone until Tran met a French army lieutenant who was stationed in French Indochina. This man would later adopt Charles, who always seemed to come second to the family he would later biologically father with Tran. By the time he was a teenager, Charles was engaging in petty crimes that ended up leading to his first jail sentence for burglary in 1963, where he somehow manipulated the French prison officials into granting him special favors and made fast friends with a prison volunteer named Felix Diescani. So much so that when Charles was eventually paroled, he moved in with his new wealthy friend who offered him entry into Paris's high society. Before long, Charles was playing quite the tightrope act between the French elite and Paris's criminal underworld, accumulating riches through a series of thefts and scams. It was also around this time that Charles met and began a relationship with a woman named Chantal Companion. 
They got engaged the same day Charles was arrested for attempting to evade the police while driving a stolen vehicle. He was sentenced to eight months in prison, but Chantal remained the ever-doting fiancé. They married as soon as the sentence was over and, while pregnant, the newlyweds fled to Asia together in 1970 to avoid yet another arrest. From there, the couple made their way throughout Eastern Europe using fake documents and robbing the tourists they befriended until they eventually arrived in Mumbai later that same year where Chantal gave birth to a baby girl named Usha. While she adjusted to a life of motherhood, Charles continued his long career as a criminal and started running a car theft and smuggling operation where the proceeds all went, not to his family, but to his budding gambling addiction. In 1973, he was arrested and sent to prison for an unsuccessful armed robbery that took place at a jewelry store at the Hotel Ashoka. But with Chantel's help, Charles was able to escape by faking an illness. He was, however, recaptured shortly thereafter and had to borrow money from his father to post his bail. When he did, he fled to Kabul, where he began robbing tourists on the hippie trail, was arrested again, escaped again, and fled to Iran this time leaving Chantal and Usha behind. Chantal, who remained loyal to her husband, moved back to France and vowed to never see him again. For the next two years, Charles lived life on the run, using as many as 10 stolen passports to travel all throughout Eastern Europe and the Middle East. He was eventually joined by his half-brother Andre in Istanbul, and together, the pair became partners in all things criminal, eventually earning an arrest in Athens. This is where an identity switch hoax went awry and Charles, who somehow managed to escape as he always did, left Andre behind to serve an 18-year sentence. On the run yet again, Charles financed his lifestyle by posing as either a gem salesman or a drug dealer and continued his long-held profession of robbing unsuspecting tourists. While in Thailand, Charles met a woman named Marie-Andre Leclerc of Quebec, Canada, a tourist who was looking for a bit of an adventure and, before long, became one of Charles's most devoted followers. Followers whom Charles usually gained by getting people into desperate situations and making himself the hero who saved the day. For example, when he helped two former French policemen recover the missing passports that he himself had stolen, or when he offered shelter to a traveling Frenchman who appeared to be suffering from dysentery, when in fact, Charles had poisoned him. His second in command was a young Indian man named Ajay Chowdhury, who didn't seem to bat an eye when the career criminal changed up his tactics and started taking human lives. Together, Charles and Ujay committed their first known murder in 1975, when the life of one of their followers was ended after spending their final moments with their leader and his partner. Charles would later claim that most of his murders were actually accidental overdoses, but according to investigators, all of these supposed deadly drug binges took place just after the victim threatened to expose Charles Sobraj's criminal enterprise. The first victim, as far as police can figure, was a young woman from Seattle named Teresa Knowlton, who was drowned in a tidal pool in the Gulf of Thailand. When an autopsy was completed a few months later, officials concluded that her death, though originally marked as a swimming accident, was actually at the hands of a cold-blooded killer. The next victim was a young nomadic Sephardic Jew named Vitaly Hakim. His burnt body was found on the road to the Pattaya Resort, where Charles had been housing his growing group of followers. 
Dutch students Henk Mintanja and his fiancée, Cornelia Hemker, were the next to fall victim to Charles. Poisoned after being invited to Thailand after meeting him in Hong Kong, only to have the man nurse them back to health and gain their devotion. While they were recovering, Charles was visited by Vitaly's girlfriend, who had come to investigate his disappearance. Fearing she would shine a light on his misdeeds, Charles made moves to get rid of Hank and Cornelia. Their bodies were found strangled and burned on December 16, 1975. Vitaly's girlfriend, Charmaine Carew, was later found drowned in a very similar swimsuit to Teresa Knowlton, which would later earn Charles the nickname the Bikini Killer. Around the time Hank and Cornelia's bodies were identified, Charles and Marie-André Leclerc entered Nepal using their stolen passports. Here, Charles murdered Laurent Corriere and Connie Brosnich before returning to Thailand with Marie-André using their passports. Once back in Thailand, Charles became worried that his three French companions were, rightfully so, suspecting him of becoming a serial killer after finding the stolen documents of his victims. They notified authorities and fled to Paris to get away from their once leader. Charles then entered either Varanasi or Calcutta, where he murdered an Israeli scholar named Avani Jacob and used his passport to travel with both Marie-André and Ujjay Chaudhary, first to Singapore and then to India before returning to Bangkok in March of 1976, despite the fact that, by this point, he knew the authorities were looking for him. They were all interrogated by the police about the growing list of victims, but fearing the negative publicity and how it would affect the country's tourist industry, they were all released. While all of this was going on, Dutch diplomat Herman Nippenberg and his wife, Angela, were investigating the murders of Hank and Cornelia. And Herman, having knowledge of and possibly even met Charles Sobrage, thought that he might be the one responsible for the couple's disappearance. With the help of Charles's neighbor, Herman built up quite the case against him and was eventually given police permission to search the murderer's apartment. Inside, he found documents belonging to Charles's many victims, poisons, syringes, and various other pieces of evidence that could be used against him. Unfortunately, the apartment had been vacant for the last month or so, and Charles was heading to Malaysia, where Ujjay had been sent to steal expensive gems. He was witnessed delivering those items to Charles and then never seen nor heard from ever again. His remains have never been found. Now back in Asia, Charles, having killed or run off almost every single member of his criminal group, began recruiting new members and picked up Barbara Smith and Mary Ellen Ether from Bombay. His next victim was Jean-Luc Solomon, who was poisoned during a robbery. In July of 1976, Charles, in the company of his three-woman enterprise, tricked a French post-grad tour group into hiring him as their tour guide in New Delhi. They were all drugged with pills Charles claimed were anti-dysentery medications, and, taking effect quicker than he anticipated, all began to fall unconscious. Three of the members of this group realized what had just happened to them, overpowered Charles, and called the police. In custody, Charles's new recruits, Barbara and Mary Ellen, turned on him in a heartbeat, and all four were sent to jail in New Delhi, where both women attempted to take their lives. Charles, on the other hand, entered the prison with one of his stolen gems and started to make moves to bribe everyone he could so he could live comfortably in jail while awaiting his trial. 
After a series of strange behaviors, hiring and firing his lawyers on a whim, and going on a hunger strike, Charles Sobraj was found guilty of poisoning and sentenced to 12 years in prison. Marie-André Leclerc was found guilty as well, but was later paroled and returned to Canada after developing ovarian cancer. Up until her dying day, she claimed her innocence and her loyalty to Charles Sobraj. As police started to piece together the true reach of his crimes, Charles made his prison sentence as luxurious as possible, bribing his way into a television and gourmet food, befriending all of the guards and prisoners, and granting interviews with Western authors and journalists to control the narrative of his story. Charles, who spoke very freely about his crimes, soon admitted to the murder of what some estimate to be between 20 and 32 different victims. Because of his openness, the fact that, unlike most killers, he killed to maintain a lifestyle rather than feed a desperate violent impulse, and his deep hatred for those involved in the hippie movement, as well as the, quote, Western imperialism of Asia, Charles Sobraj became a celebrity of sorts that made the cunning con man the talk of the town. As his 12-year sentence for the poisoning started to come to an end, a 20-year Thai arrest warrant, which was still valid, allowed for his possible extradition to stand trial for the murders, which, if allowed, would likely end in his execution. Because of this, in March of 1986, Charles threw a major party with the prison officials and fellow inmates, drugged all of them with sleeping pills, and simply walked out of the prison as if he was simply a visitor. He was recaptured and, exactly like he planned, his prison sentence was extended for 10 more years, which in 1997 meant the expiration of those long-held arrest warrants. Without any country to extradite him to, Charles was allowed to return to France on February 17, 1997, where he retired comfortably in suburban Paris, hired a publicity agent, and charged large sums of money for interviews and photographs. On September 1st, 2003, Charles was spotted by a journalist for the Himalayan Times at a casino in Kathmandu. The writer spent the next two weeks following his every movement and reporting it back to his bosses. The report was seen by the Nepal police, who then raided the casino and arrested a completely unaware Charles Subraj, who was still sitting there gambling away his money. The Nepal police then made the decision to reopen Laurent Carrier and Connie Bronzich's double murder case from 1975, and because of their quick thinking, finally ended up placing Charles behind bars for two of his many murders, using the evidence gathered by Herman Nippenberg. He was sentenced to life imprisonment on August 20th, 2004. He appealed his conviction, claiming he was sentenced without a trial, and his lawyer later announced that Chantal Companion, the wife he abandoned all those years ago, was filing a case before the European Court of Human Rights for refusing to provide him with assistance. His conviction was confirmed in 2005. In 2008, he announced his engagement to Nepali reality star Nahidi Biswas and, through her, issued a statement claiming that he was never convicted of murder by any of the courts and asked the media not to refer to him as a serial killer. In July of 2010, the Supreme Court of Nepal postponed a verdict of appeal filed by Charles against the district court's verdict in regards to Connie's murder, calling the life sentence unfair and an act of racism. 
but they chose to, at the end of the month, uphold the original ruling and dismiss his claims entirely. He was given an additional year, a hefty fine for entering Nepal illegally, and had all his property seized. As of December 2020, Charles Sobraj is still serving out his sentence. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on February 18th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.